0: Hi, I'm Louisa Boa-Taylor and this is Future Food, where food trends and new technologies converge. There is a systemic change occurring in our food system. In this podcast, we speak to entrepreneurs, investors, chefs, farmers, and others defining that future. Continuing on from the theme of what I missed while I was off on maternity leave at the end of 2020, the industry had a major announcement and that was when Eat Just, the company known for its plant-based eggless mayo, was the first company in the world to get uh, governmental regulatory approval for cell-cultivated meat and to serve it in a restaurant. It managed to do this in Singapore with its cultivated chicken product, which it's sold in a restaurant to um, children in the form of chicken nuggets. Huge achievement, super exciting. So in this episode, I speak to Josh Tetrick, founder and CEO of Eat Just. Thank you so much, Josh, for joining. So where are you today and what did you have for breakfast?
1: I am on the south shore of Kauai. You might hear some roosters in the background. I had a little bit of oatmeal, I had some mulberries. I had some Ezekiel grape nut kind of cereal and some sort of nut milk. I think it might have been a macadamia milk was in it. It was a nice, I don't know if I would say Hawaiian breakfast, but it was a nice healthy breakfast.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. What, what is a Hawaiian breakfast actually?
1: I think Hawaiian breakfast is a lot of papayas, smoothies, and maybe a more traditional Hawaiian breakfast would include the Hawaiian version of pork. But unless it's cultured pork, I'm going to stick to papayas.
0: Right. Fair enough. And what is the weirdest thing that you've eaten recently?
1: <clears throat> the weirdest thing that I've eaten recently? Probably, I don't know if I would use the term weird, but uh, particularly unique, is our chicken. I had some of I had some of our ch- <laughs> yeah. I had some of our chicken shipped over to me, and it is weird. I guess in the good sense, weird as as in it is it is very different, atypical, abnormal. We think in a good way, real chicken that didn't require killing a, a chicken. And I I had it plain. I dipped it into some ketchup. That's how I used to eat it, chicken nuggets growing up in Alabama. Except I would mix ketchup with mayonnaise. That was like the key thing. You take ketchup, mix it with mayonnaise, and then dip a big old chicken nugget into it. That's, 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 probably, that's probably the strangest thing I've had recently.
0: Oh, right. Love it. Well, I suppose not that strange. So yeah, we get on to the big news that you had while I was away, which was that you were the first to serve a cell-cultured meat product to consumers in a restaurant in Singapore which is a, you know, a fantastic achievement. And obviously you've been in the meat alternative space for a very long time, but you were always um, in the plant-based space. I know it was a few years now where you announced your plans to go into cultivated chicken, but I have to say it felt like you were you know, on the back foot a little bit compared to some of the other groups. And you know, it's a fantastic achievement. It feels like you kind of overtook all the others To reach this uh, point that you did just a few months ago, so how did you do that?
1: We've been doing a lot of hard work in the background. We have a we have a team that's really been focused over the last handful of years on cell line development, on meeting the the demands of getting to a serum free formulation of scale up, and the scale up element is a a particular piece that's important to us. We've learned a lot of lessons about how to scale up food technology through what we've done with Just Egg. We're approaching. 100 million Just Eggs sold, and that requires a lot of scale-up expertise. And yeah, on on Thanksgiving Day of all days, we heard back from SFA, the food regulators in Singapore, that we were the first company ever to receive approval to sell an animal product that didn't require killing an animal called cultured meat. Um, And then on December 19th at about 7 p.m., we sat down a group of four young people between Twelve and seventeen who stuck their forks into some chicken and then paid for it and were able to get over that that really important uh, that important milestone and we hope there's a lot more to come.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. So, ha- I mean, had you always had this in the back of your minds that you were going to move into this space while you were doing your plant-based uh, mayo and egg products? You know, had you already done some of the discovery there?
1: Well, the mission of the company was never, we really want to be a plant-based technology company. We really want to be a, a cellular ag company. That's not what the fixation has been. The fixation has really been on, how do you take this objectively broken, irrational, sad food system that doesn't represent our values and change it quickly? focusing on changing the dynamics of animal protein. That's what more than anything I cared about. And we started thinking, all right, what is the most consumed animal protein? It happens to be the chicken egg. What is the best way to solve it through plants? Let's go. And then as we began developing that, we thought, all right, what's next? And we knew we wanted to to hit uh, chicken or beef, pork. And we looked at technologies. We certainly looked at the plant-based technology because that's what we had a lot of experience in. But then we also looked at others, including cellular agriculture. And we made the determination that for the purpose of doing that, a different technology is necessary. Um, and then we developed the capacity to do it. We brought folks that are experienced in cell line development, have experience in, in media, understand how to work with a bioreactor. And that's how we think about things. We're not, uh, there are all sorts of technologies within this field of food technology. And I don't think you need to necessarily specialize in just one element. We want to focus on the one that is the most relevant for the application. And just to give you more logic as to why we thought uh, the cultured process is better for us to handle meat, we want restaurants, small diners in Birmingham, Alabama, where I'm from, cafes here in Kauai, big fast food chains in China. We want all of those places only to have one kind of meat on the menu. And that's a kind of meat that didn't require the slaughter of an animal or the tearing down of a tree or the use of antibiotics. And we simply think the most effective way to get there is presenting a cultured meat option that literally is meat, that ultimately is less expensive than meat. And that's what we're doing.
0: So how are you doing? Are you doing everything in house? Are you making your own growth factors? You're designing your own bioreactors or are you actively collaborating with others? It's
1: a combination. So I mean, most of the, almost all the, the research and development's in house. So we have a, a build-out team. Um, about 50 of our 150-person team are on the research and development side. Process engineers and biochemists, molecular biologists, analytical chemists, uh, food engineers, chefs, product developers. So the core work around cell line development, media formulation, scale-up. That's all in house. Depending on what the particular element is, we're not currently, as an example, building our own bioreactors. We work with companies to identify bioreactors and, and customize them to our needs. Um, and we'll continue to do that. You know, we want to run as fast as we can towards a world, and this will begin in Singapore, where we're scaling up from the restaurant we're at today, 1880, to five, to ten, to a thousand. Then move to the U.S., China, other countries that Eventually we'll clear this from a regulatory perspective. We want to scale up from a thousand liters to a hundred thousand plus liters. We want to launch chicken breast and then beef and then pork and then seafood. We are very much all in. It's going to be very capital intensive. It's going to be very hard, and it's also going to be very worth it.
0: So what's happening with the plant-based side of the business? That's ticking along at the same time.
1: So' we're in, that's right. We're in about twenty thousand points of distribution with just egg. We're far and away the fastest growing. Egg brand in the United States. Uh, the goal is to eventually be number one egg brand globally, not plant based egg brand, but egg brand, full stop. Uh, we're approaching about 100 million plant based eggs sold in some top three, five, three to five retailers. We're selling more than 95% of all the eggs that they sell. The vast majority of people who buy just egg are not vegan or vegetarian, they're just trying to eat a little bit better. And eventually with Just Egg, we want to get to the point where we're significantly below the cost of a conventional egg. Um, 75% of people prefer us to a pasteurized egg. And we have global ubiquity. And a part of that that approach is one in which we focus on the core technology, the the identification of the protein, the functionalization of the protein, the building of the brand. And we partner with companies like Michael Foods or like PHW, a major food company in Western Europe, who take our proprietary protein, convert it to the finished product, and then push it out through their distribution channels. Michael Foods in the U.S. is a really good example of that. They're far and away the biggest provider of eggs to restaurants, hospitals, big fast food chains. They're the dominant player. And there's not even a close second. And they're our partner. And they have 700 people on their sales team and most of those 700 people now know how to sell a plant-based egg. And most of those folks are actively selling a plant-based egg under our brand to the channel today. And that's how we're going to get to scale.
0: How do you maintain focus then with so many different products and, and science and technologies you know, under one roof of, of the one company?
1: Well, I mean, we're doing eggs and meat. That's it. We're not doing milk. We don't want to do milk. We don't want to do uh, ice cream. We don't want to do pastas. We don't want to do cupcake. We want to do the, <laughs> we want to we want to do the egg, <laughs> and then chicken and beef really in the next few years. So, although it might seem a lot because there are these two technologies in terms of product focus, it's just those things: egg and meat. And there are more crossovers than I think one would think. A really good product developer, a really good chef. Is competent at doing work for egg or chicken. A really good process engineer understands the physics of protein separation and also the physics of large-scale cell production. A really good CTO. Thankfully, we we have a, a phenomenal CTO, Peter Licari, is really good at leading and allocating resources and hiring a team to execute these things. And you know that's how we do it. It's I can't imagine not doing meat because I think it's so fundamental and I'm such a big believer in the technology of, of cultured meat to give us the highest probability of moving away from the current system of production. There's also this other element of, I just have to do it. You know, it just, I can't not do it. I wouldn't want to leave the company and, and focus as we are if, if that wasn't a part of what we do.
0: Okay, so I'm going to do a little bit of true or false round with you now. got a couple of statements I'm going to say to you, and you can tell me if they're true or false. Okay. 10% of meat will come from cultured meat by 2030.
1: False. I think if companies like us do our job, it should be a bit higher than that.
0: Really? By 2030? This is from a management consultancy, A.T. Kearney. Yeah, they came up with that.
1: Yeah, actually, I actually reached out to the folks that wrote that, and I, I said I I think they wrote that before we launched. So I think they're they're understating how fast this technology can scale. Um, although I I think generally the report did a good job with the sentiment of what the transitions would look like.
0: Plant based animal product alternatives are innately healthier than cultivated meat.
1: It depends on the product. That's a hard true or false. Now what I can tell you is true is. The healthiest way to eat has nothing to do with cultivated meat or plant based products like Just Egg or other plant based burgers. The healthiest way to eat is papayas and spinach and apples and oranges and kale and whole plants. So, evidence would say that's far and away the healthiest way for the human being to eat. But yeah, it depends what product uh, we're talking about, what the ingredients are, what the makeup is. So, it's hard to generalize whether. The question is true or false.
0: Yeah, and I mean, on your plant-based products, you know, there has been quite a bit of discussion now about the health profile, nutritional profile behind some of the plant-based alternatives. You know, are you are you working on on making yours healthier? You know, are there any kind of concerns around some of the the other ingredients that you use in in some of the plant-based products? Just wondering how you're tackling that new focus on making sure these aren't overly processed goods. Yeah.
1: Well, I think there are a few dimensions of it. The most important dimension is just to be really honest with people. So when we talk about health, we should look at what the evidence says about health and what the evidence says about healthy eating is really clear. And that clarity has nothing to do with selling more just eggs or more good meat. It's eat whole plants. That's what it says. And our company doesn't get a dollar for that advice. It just happens to be the evidence. So I think in any conversation about health, in food, we should start with what I what I think is the what I think is the most true. Second thing is when we talk about health, there's a relative health. So if someone does want to eat chicken, it's not just asking whether a plant based is healthy or not. It's is it healthier though no. is it healthier than what the alternative is? And then the third is saying, All right, there are a lot of things that plant based products can do, including just egg and what we do to become a lot healthier. And that includes more minimal processing, that includes removing ingredients that folks can't pronounce, Uh, that includes, for the most part, that includes lowering the sodium, that includes generally removing ingredients that are not conducive to health and including those that that are. So it's really important to us, whether it's kind of an in thing for consumers or the zeitgeist to talk about or not, we just want to make our thing as healthy as we possibly can. And with each subsequent version that we put out, there's some element of health that we're attempting to improve, again, whether it's less processing, whether it's the removal of ingredient, whether it's the inclusion in ingredient. Another thing we're doing on the health side is encouraging people to eat just egg with more whole plant. So if you look at our social media over the last handful of months as an example versus what it looked like a year and a half ago. You'll see a lot less, you'll see just egg paired with a lot less sugary, fatty things and paired more with kale and spinach and other whole plant vegetables and fruits, which, which are just better. So we, we like people to look at it as a vehicle to eat more whole plants as opposed to just a, a breakfast in and of itself.
0: But what formats do you have now with your egg product? And do we have any new ones coming along?
1: We have uh, three. Uh, Two are out in the market. We're about to launch another one. Um, The core product is uh, comes in a bottle. It's in close to a million households today. You pour it in a pan, scrambles like an egg, and make an omelet out of it. And then in 2020, we launched a frozen breakfast sandwich, which a breakfast sandwich, uh, a a patty-like product. Today, that's the number one frozen breakfast item in a top five retailer and the number one frozen breakfast entree across a natural channel called Just Egg Folded and then in march we're going to be launching just egg sous vide a sous vide egg bite which is somewhat similar to the the sous vide egg bites that you might find at starbucks today but it's plant based so every year we do two things with just egg we make the base better healthier creamier lighter fluffier better better flow, flavor profile and then we also launch um, a product to broaden the uh, where we are in the in a grocery store and uh, just Egg Souvite is that product this year.
0: Okay. Another true or false statement. Cultured chicken is a premium food product.
1: Well, if it is true, if the word premium is defined as it is today more expensive than <laughs> conventional. So that yes, is true. Yes. Right. It is false if the word premium is defining what it will be in the future. <laughs> so uh, today is certainly, it is, <laughs> it is it is priced as a premium. But the whole point of so on the menu at 1880, it's priced at what you would see premium chicken at today. So you can get a, a few of our chicken dishes for about $23. And when I say today, I literally mean today. So today, people are eating chicken, cultured chicken made by us at a restaurant in Singapore. That also happened yesterday and the day before. So when we launched on December 19th, that wasn't like meant to be some special launch event that we launched and then we stopped serving chicken. It took, I think, a hundred years since the day someone thought of this. Well, I certainly didn't think of it. Um, the day someone thought of this idea that hey, maybe we could serve animals without killing an animal, till the day someone actually launched it in a restaurant when we did late last year, and we're continuing on. And eventually, we want to get it to the place where it's at parity, and then ultimately less costly than what conventional chicken or beef or pork would be. So that if I'm a restaurant operator, whether I'm a diner in in Birmingham, uh, the the person person who's running purchasing um, for a big fast food chain, why would I also put conventional chicken on my menu? If this chicken, Mm -hmm. as an example, Mm -hmm. literally is chicken, it's it's just the process is different. The nutritional composition Mm -hmm. is the same, minus antibiotics. That's what we want to get to. And that's going to be a lot of hard work to get there it's not going to happen you know just by accident but that's what the point is
0: so what do you think the cost curve looks like we saw an announcement this week from potentially you could call them a competitor future meat they cut their cost down to $7.50 per quarter pound of chicken mm. i'm not sure where you are compared to that but can you disclose where you are compared to that
1: well, i think it's really we won't disclose costs but i think it's really what we need to understand about the cost of this product today is until we were approved, there's no reason to make an enormous amount of it. And if you think about how costs work in the industry, I mean, think about the phone that's in your pocket. If Apple was only allowed to make phones for their friends, family members, and a few of their major investors because regulators hadn't approved the sale of an iPhone in the U.S., why would they make $100 million of them? There'd be no reason to do it. And the only reason Apple is able to get the cost of its components down is because it makes hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of the phone. Same deal with with Tesla. So the cost curve only comes down in part when you can make many of the thing. And you can only make many of the thing when you're actually approved to sell the thing. And until we were approved, that was not the case. So now as we're expanding in Singapore from one restaurant to many, we can there's a reason to scale up, right? There's a reason to make More per day and more per week and more pounds per month. Um, And that'll significantly drive the cost down. Generally speaking, I I can tell you, I think in the next five to 10 years, we'll be at a place where this will be at parity or below the cost of chicken or beef. And I also say, I want, I also say, I want, I hope, I hope there are 10 entrepreneurs around the world that are listening to this or not even entrepreneurs, want to be entrepreneurs who read this and say, you know what? I want to start a company that beats his ass we want that. The, the problem of animal agriculture is a, a deep endemic problem that is affecting all of us. And we need many companies attacking it from different angles. So I, I hope more people get after it.
0: Any advice out there then for budding entrepreneurs? And, you know, just also thinking about how you were, you did such a good job of getting that approval by the Singaporean government in such a quick, short mm-hmm. amount of time. I'm sure there was a lot of hustle there, any advice, you know, on that front and, and other fronts?
1: Yeah. Yeah, a few things. I'd say one is you definitely should not start you definitely should not start a company to go after this problem if you're interested in having an easy, relatively peaceful life. So if that is your objective, <laughs> please do not yeah. start a company in this space. Choose something else, and I will support you in doing that. But this is not the place to do that. It'll be a lot harder than you think you've got to surround yourself with people that know a lot more than you do about uh, whatever area that you think you know a lot about. The process of building a cultured meat company is very capital intensive. So just because you're able to raise a million dollars or five million dollars, that's a good start. That's not going to get anywhere close to solving the problem. It's In some ways, a cultured meat company is like building an electric car company. You need Hundreds of millions, eventually billions of dollars of capital to build the infrastructure necessary to make it happen. That did not mean you have to raise it all at once, but the kind of infrastructure you have to lay down to do this is is significant. Be prepared for that. Be prepared to be very direct with investors about the return probably not coming tomorrow. That this is a this is a long term endeavor if they want to get behind it. And you know, strap it up, man. I mean, you just get, this is it's. I, I hope you're resilient. And I hope you're gritty. Mm-hmm. And those are the kind of elements that, that are, they don't guarantee success, but they're absolutely necessary uh, to even have an opportunity to, to do something that, that's meaningful.
0: Well, so I've got a, another true or false statement here, which kind of follows on a little mm-hmm. bit from that. And it's a little bit mean, maybe. That's all but right. But um, there's, no <laughs> there's no such thing as bad publicity, true or false.
1: That's false. There definitely is such thing as bad publicity. Yeah, that's definitely false. All yeah. all media is not good media. The the best media is increasing the probability that you can accomplish your mission, not not decreasing it. That also happens to be based in in reasoned evidence. So that that is. That's the most false of all the questions. That's my most emphatic true false of all the, of all the questions you've asked so far.
0: Yeah, fair enough. And I don't, I don't want to drag into this, but, you know, there has been, you know, allegations around your company's purchasing many jars of the Mayo product. For those listeners who don't know about this, you know, you can do a quick Google search. I mean, how did you kind of turn that around and, and motivate your team? It must have been a really tough time for the company.
1: Well, there's kind of a media side than internal company side. So the just the internal company side, you know, that was in 2014. So a handful of years ago, maybe even more than that in startup time, we spent less than I spent around 1% of sales in a particular year doing something that a lot of companies end up doing uh, around getting shelf space. And it got media attention a handful of years after it. Uh, everyone in my company knew what the deal is and how straight up we were about it. So there's no change in, in any particular company operation. It was it was dealing with uh, some elements in the media in a straightforward, honest way and, and continuing to keep our heads down building a company. And that's a really... The most important lesson that came from it wasn't a lesson that we necessarily need to learn because we were doing it, which is the most important thing to do every day is to put your attention... Attention meaning your brain, your body, where you physically are, your time on things that make it more likely that you'll achieve the mission. That's the most important operating principle. And whether there is press that says your company is a revolution to the food system, or there is press that says the opposite, neither actually matter. Because what matters is what you're doing right? What matters is the team. What matters is what you're literally building. What matters is how many consumers are actually buying your product and then buying it again. What matters is your ability to uh, rip out unnecessary costs scale. What matters is your ability to be honest and straightforward and forward thinking with regulators. And what matters is building an effective culture. Those are the things that that end up determining whether you're winning or not. Everything else is just noise.
0: Yes, there's certainly a lot of noise in this space. Let's talk a bit about fundraising. How is that? <laughs> I know it's like the worst part of most founders' jobs mm. is doing fundraising and supposedly gets easier, but maybe it doesn't. When you moved into cultivated meat, it obviously changed things a little bit. And you mentioned earlier in our conversation about being honest with investors about the timeline. How has that process been? And how has it changed?
1: We don't approach it too differently than we did in the past in that our approach to investors is this is what we're doing. This is what we're not going to compromise. These are the technologies that matter to us. These are our approaches regarding a business model or building a brand. And if you jump aboard the ship, we're not interested in just being a nice, good, valuable company. If that's what you're interested in, there are a lot of other companies that you can invest in. What we're interested in is doing something that has an opportunity, not a guarantee, but an opportunity to shift things in a more dramatic way that ultimately can have a, a more important, more meaningful outcome. will be a lot harder. It might take a little bit longer, might require a little bit more capital, but that's our approach. In addition to that, we believe it's, it's critically important that the management of the company, the team who's running the company, have the autonomy to make the most important decisions to determine where we go. That's my short summary of what I tell investors. And some investors hear that and say, I'm going to go take my money elsewhere. And then some investors hear that and say, that sounds like a company I want to back. And that's one lesson you know that I would tell other entrepreneurs. Every, just because an investor has X number of millions of dollars to invest doesn't mean they're the right investor for you. And there are all sorts of things that determine that, including what your very clear point of view of who you are and what you're trying to build is. And you gotta find the right find the right alignment there.
0: So you're talking about maintaining control of the direction of the company. Yes,
1: that's a critical element.
0: And what about valuations? Yeah, you know, it's always a, a big topic in, in this space and across food tech, really, you know, especially with companies that pre-revenue. Obviously, you're not pre-revenue now, your post revenue is how do you reach those numbers. And, and can you tell us what your valuation
1: is today? So the, I'd say that I think the last reported valuation in the media is north of a billion. But with that said, it's based on any number of factors. Those factors include your revenue, your current profitability, your path to profitability, your technology, how differentiated your technology is, how scalable your business model is, the credibility of your current investors, the vision of the management team, uh, your current talent, where the company is located, who else is competing for the deal, and then a host of other intangible qualities that are impacted by what's happening in society today like covid. So all that is going into what evaluation is many of those for a public company too by the way. But our general perspective on valuation is, you know, listen, all things being equal, of course you'd rather a higher valuation than a lower valuation. But life is not like that, right? We I would rather have the investors that are, are deeply, in a very non-bullshit way, aligned with what we're doing at a lower valuation than I would investors that are misaligned with what we're doing at a higher valuation, as an example. So there are all sorts of factors that go into it. But I think one thing to disentangle yourself from, if you're an entrepreneur listening to this, is the very false idea that valuation is solely based upon sales workers alone, because that's that's certainly not true.
0: And how much do you think that competitive piece, you know, competition between investors, you know, how much can that push a valuation up within a round?
1: Uh, Many times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, uh, you know, in thinking about this, it's not, think about an auction. Like imagine, you know, there's an auction for, a 1943 Chevy, and there's an auction for it and people are competing for it. What determines the price of that? Well, you know, what the book lists it at, you know, how good a condition is. But another thing in the auction is who's bidding for it, right? Who wants to win it the most, right? What are you willing to pay for it? So competition is, is absolutely a key factor in determining, particularly in a private company perspective, what the valuation ends up being in a given round without, without question. It's a, it's a primary factor. Now, another important thing for, I think, folks to realize about valuation is no one remembers what Amazon's valuation was the day that Bezos took them public. Not a single person, I bet you who's listening, remembers that that a single person remembers what Tesla's valuation was the day that Elon took them public, right? And that's because what matters is building a long-term company with a differentiated technology, with a whole bunch of with a lot of resilience, high-quality team, and valuation, for the most part, tends to take care of itself if you end up doing this. Thing. Not always, but it tends to.
0: I mean, I'm sure the investors probably know <laughs> what the valuation of those companies were before they listed, but but I get your point. Yeah. What other food tech do you find interesting? You know, we're actually mm-hmm. seeing, um, I've seen a few people move from the alt-protein space into indoor ag recently, for instance, like mm-hmm. David Lee from Impossible. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- where would your next stop be? If you could choose another area of food tech, where would you go?
1: Yeah. You know, I think it's really interesting people that are trying to get, People that are devising ways to get people to eat more whole plants. I've always, a, a friend of mine named Alexis once said that there should be a company called Sexy Beans. And the purpose of this company <laughs> would be to make beans cool and sexy, right? I love ideas like yeah. that because they're, they're so the antithesis of what we're doing, right? It's not about building a technology platform. It has nothing to do with it. It's about taking something that is so objectively good in and of itself, right? I or my team didn't do a damn thing to it. It is just good, but making it more uh, palatable and exciting and compelling for for people who think beams are kind of uncool for the most part.
0: Yeah, it's so like a PR campaign. There, for needs the be,
1: there needs to be a PR campaign for beans. There's no doubt <laughs> it. There does, you know. And right. I, I would love, I would love that if I don't. Invest at anything, all all my energy and dollars going to eat just, but it's ideas like that that I think are really interesting. How do we figure out a way to design a food system where kale is as ubiquitous as soy and corn? What are the kinds of things that we need to do, kinds of adjustments in the food system that we need to do to enable that? I think those are the kinds of things I find really interesting. And I think. uh, just have a lot, of, a lot of power to make things better. And it, you know, it relates to, to me, food is not that dissimilar from transportation and that we can all agree transportation needs to be fixed, it's dirty, it's inefficient, but there are a lot of ways of fixing our transportation system. They include everything from whatever Tesla's gonna build next to an electric scooter to the bike that I rode to this location to talk to you, right? It doesn't have to be only an electric car or only the work of cruise or only electric scooter it could mean cities designing more bikeable cities i'm always such a fan at some western european cities are just so bikeable right it's just easy to jump on a bike you don't need an electric car like if i if i lived in amsterdam i love tesla i would never amsterdam, buy a yeah. te- i would never buy a tesla in amsterdam it'd be ridiculous i'm just going i'm just going to jump on a bike and i think i look at that dynamic, and I think there are a lot of similarities with food that we need to figure out a way to move people off intensive animal agriculture for all the reasons that we're aware of, and the way of doing that includes a lot of different approaches, it includes purely plant based includes cultured, includes uh, vertical farms, it includes sexy beans
0: yeah. All, all, these Bean things. <laughs> all yeah,
1: all these things need our attention,
0: right. Well, thank you. That is a, that is an awesome place for us to stop our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me, Josh. It's been really great to chat to you. Looking forward to hearing more news from you this year.
1: Definitely. And if anyone if anyone's interested in starting that sexy bean company, get in touch with me. Maybe that will be my first investment.
0: <laughs> I think you've got a seed investor, right? <laughs> exactly. There we go. There thank we go. you so much. Thank you. Bye, everyone. <laughs> thank you. You've been listening to Future Food with me, Louisa Burwood-Taylor. For news and insights on the food tech and ag tech industries, go to agfundernews.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review.